to another episode of Pilgrim Talk Theology for Sojourners. Pilgrim Talk is a weekly podcast devoted to the discussion of the Christian faith and practice for the edification of the Christian pilgrim as they travel to the heavenly city. I'm John Sweat, and this is my co-host Spencer Grusing. Hey, guys. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the theological disciplines. What are they? How do they serve us in theology? And what is their relationship to one another? Uh, but as always, guys, I just want to ask you, if you find uh, what we're doing here at Pilgrim Talk helpful, uh, please uh, help get the word out. Share uh, these episodes with your friends. Uh, share it on your Facebook uh, page. Uh, please give us a rating over there at Apple Podcast. Uh, write a, uh, an honest review of how you really feel about us. It will uh, serve us uh, in the long run of uh, gaining a, a wider audience, hopefully, um, as we discuss things pertaining to the Christian life and to the fact that the Christian is called to be a sojourner between two ages. Um, but why don't you get us started, uh, Spence, as we think about theological disciplines and the relationship? Yeah. Um, so often in the halls of theology, there are four major approaches or focuses or locations in which theology is done. And a lot of the time, they're referred to as the encyclopedia of theology, if you want like a, 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 a big brain way to talk about it. Uh, but these are the set of theological disciplines that are used um, to understand scripture and the Christian faith. Uh, so it's a way that theologians have historically organized um, the different, um, again, focuses of theology. So, John... What is the uh, first one that we want to focus on? Yeah, so uh, there's four major, and the first one really is exegetical, exegetical theology. And uh, what we mean by exegetical, right, you can hear the word exegesis in there, and really it is drawing out the God-intended meaning of the text according to the uh, literal, historical, grammatical, and redemptive context. And so this is this is going back to our episodes where we talked about the status, shape, and scope of Scripture, and uh, the episode also where we talked about how to study Scripture. As we're doing exegetical theology, we're working with the inspired text of Scripture itself, looking at uh, the words and the context around those words, the historical milieu that would be behind the text, uh, shaping much of our understanding of what we're reading there. And uh, but 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 really, one of the things we often miss or we haven't really thought too much about um, is um, that biblical theology really falls underneath exegetical theology. And biblical theology is the capstone. It's the it's the final product of exegetical theology. In other words, uh, what we say in biblical theology is Jesus Christ is the center of all of Scripture. All of Scripture moves to and from Jesus Christ. And in biblical theology, we can trace all sorts of organic themes that um, that are planted in seed form in the Old Testament, and they slowly grow and come to full bloom as we reach the New Testament. And as Paul says, all the promises are yes in Christ, and so Christ is the center of all that we do in biblical theology, whether we're talking about the people of God, the temple, um, all of those things. And I would say that if you're doing exegetical theology and you stop short of, uh, of looking at how that text in particular relates to the broader story of redemption, in particular to Jesus Christ, then you are shortchanging 
your your exegetical theology is uh, limping limping along. Um, so that's the one, Spence. If we're honest, most people think uh, they think uh, this is the only discipline they think of, and uh, they often mm-hmm. uh, ignore the others um, because they feel they're insignificant or they really don't matter. Uh, or because they have, I think, a unbalanced uh, view of what sola scriptura means, right? Scripture alone is our ultimate authority. Oh, um, oh absolutely. So, and that, I, that would be the I, first I, one. I really think, yeah, and I really think biblical theology in the past 10, 15 years has um, really taken kind of like uh, a spotlight Um as I think more and more people are more interested in it. Um, but um, I think, you know, like anything, a spotlight can kind of um, throw a shadow on some other important areas that need to be looked at as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So that brings us to the second discipline. And that's uh, so we've got exegetical theology. We also have historical theology. Um, this is the examining, tracing, and understanding the development of doctrine within the history of the church. And I think historical theology is vital because we believe that Christ has, Christ has been building his church um, from, from the very first day of his ascension. And the spirit has been guiding the church into all truth. And I think it's vital for us to Sorry understand. About the background was- yeah, he does. Here. Spencer's uh, watching El Chupacabre, and uh, it's, a, it's a massive dog. And uh, but but you know, I think it's important for the Christian to at least recognize that they are not the first Christians to open their Bibles, um, and their church is not the first church that the Holy Spirit has worked in to guide them into truth. And so we often approach scriptures the christian faith with this sort of chronological snobbery right if it isn't now it doesn't matter and we've progressed so much further than the those barbarian early church fathers and they don't really have anything helpful for us to say but historical yeah so it's just to just to make one more distinction here spence historical theology uh can and is distinguished from uh church history Right. right, church history is looking more, in particular, at dates and key figures and uh, sort of the things behind uh, what we see in history that sort of propel and uh, move history forward in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, you know, uh, influences and, and and all those things, uh, but they're also related. So I, I am someone might quibble this, but I'm including underneath historical theology both the actual official discipline of tracing doctrinal themes but also church right. history underneath there's i think right right there so right yeah absolutely so as we think about these two we then move into one that maybe most people are for, are for more familiar with maybe more than the historical and we think of systematic theology so you think of uh to give you a few examples of this you think of uh something like um uh, Lewis Burkhoff's uh, systematic theology, or uh, John Calvin's Institute of the Christian Religion, um, or 
uh, Gerhardus Voss, Reform Dogmatics, Herman Bavink, Reform Dogmatics, um, or even something even newer like Wayne Grudem's uh, pretty, pretty popular systematic theology. And systematic theology, really, if we were to summarize it, is it's an orderly and comprehensive summary of the Bible's teaching by topic that is aided by historical theology, grounded in exegetical theology, and is completed in practical theology. And so you you could see right there that I already kind of revealed the fourth theological discipline here, but all of these disciplines are are working uh, in concert together. And what systematic theology uh, seeks to do, if it's a good systematic theology, is it wrestles with um, the exegetical data of Scripture and then tries to summarize and synthesize all of that data to uh, speak comprehensively about all that the Bible says about the doctrine of man, all that the Bible says about the doctrine of Christ, all the Bible says about the doctrine of last things. Um, and we'll, we'll go into more of the kind of the relationship in particular about systematic theology and biblical theology, but systematic theology is something that the church has ignored, I think, in the 20th century. Um, we've abandoned sort of this commitment to the dogmatic formulations of the church, the historic creeds and confessions. Um, and we need to, we need to recover that and we need to, to wrestle with all that scripture says and, and wrestle with how to understand all of that exegetical data, uh, in a, in a orderly and comprehensive summary. Um, anything right. you want to add to that Spence before we move forward to the fourth one? Uh, no, no, I think you, uh, I think you summed it up really well right there. So I've already mentioned the fourth one, but the fourth one is practical theology. You know, it's the the application of all theology to the Christian life, God's world, and life of the church, so that the Christian might grow in their communion with Father, Son, and Spirit. But but it's important for us to recognize that practical theology must be grounded in sound theology, right? It's, meaning it's it's biblical, it's rooted in Scripture. Right. Practical right. theology, by the way, is the blood that must run through our theological veins, lest our bodies decay and die from theological abstractions and right. coldness. Um, you know, your practical, the, go ahead, go ahead. I was saying that practical theology is only as good as the uh, systematic theology that it's rooted in. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And then that systematic theology is only as good as the, the, um, exegetical theology that it's rooted in right you know all these things inter interweave together and uh you know as we think about these four disciplines it's easy for us to think of them as neat tight compartments um uh, we so when we do theology we say okay to, for, for an hour i'm going to do exegetical theology and then for an hour i'm going to do historical theology but we, we shouldn't think of these four disciplines as steps um uh as if one discipline can be uh, abstracted from the other, right? These theological disciplines are, they're not isolated rooms in a house where you leave one room, closing the door behind you to enter another room and labor in that discipline, right? This doesn't mean that some theological works don't focus uh, on just one discipline. But what I'm saying is they, they inescapably overlap, right? If, if you are all about historical theology, 
but but you arrive at theological conclusions simply based to pick up based upon who held those positions in church history, then your historical mm-hmm. theology now has undermined scripture. Um, or if you are are uh, so philosophical and theological in your articulation of systematic theology and and your your formulations and your systems that you arrive at in your systematic theology uh, are devoid of exegesis, then what you then do is you take a system and you force it onto the text of Scripture. And so these all overlap, right? And so mm-hmm. the, the point is we shouldn't intentionally ignore one of the disciplines by deflating it or removing uh, removing the wheel entirely. Um, sorry, so I was going I was going into illustration here, and I, I forgot my illustration. But the point is, if you're driving down a road with with four wheels, um, all four of those wheels are important. If you remove a wheel as you're driving down the road, there's going to be great danger for that vehicle. That is not, by the way, an illustration of how I value all four disciplines as all totally equal or or um, of equal importance. That's not the point. But the point is, if you're going to be, uh, even as a lay person, I think, a, a, uh, a good student uh, of theology, of God's revelation, if we're going to um, think God's thoughts and trace their unity, as Babing says, then we should seek to try to be well-balanced in each of these four, uh, these four disciplines. So one of the ways you can do that, and right. we'll get more to practical stuff at the end, is I, you know, I'm not perfect at this, but try to read something from each uh, of the four disciplines as you're trying to read books, the, you know, theological books. So find find a commentary right. that you're reading. Find a find a, a a work that's dealing with some sort of systematic theology topic. Find something that's dealing with a historical piece, and and always find. This is why we love the Puritans is you read the Puritans and they are, they are theological um, and they are, they are delving into the deep theological truths of scripture. Yet it's always uh, submerged in communion with God, practical theology. So what do you think about that Spence? Anything you would want to add or? Yeah, no, I was going to say, you know, and maybe, you know, if you're not so much a book person, maybe you could find a book on systematic theology and then maybe find um, maybe like a podcast series on historical theology or something to balance it out that way. Um, obviously, that's a little bit more uh, practical in the sense of, you know, applying what we're saying to do, but, um, you know, definitely change it up, um, but definitely expose yourself to uh, the different disciplines. Yeah, absolutely. So, Let's spend the last little bit of our time here, Spence, talking in particular about the relationship between biblical theology and systematic theology, mm-hmm. um, because there are, um, well, you, you already hinted at it. There is a resurgence of biblical theology in our day, and I'm, a, I'm thrilled about it. I, I think it's uh, been very helpful for us to understand how beautifully all these various themes in Scripture uh, organically connect to one another and point us to Christ. But there's been a um, an unfortunate uh, result of this of this sort of renewed interest and emphasis, and that's to pit uh, biblical theology against systematic theology. So some people will say things like 
systematic theology is superficial and unbiblical because systematic theology imposes upon the text of Scripture theological systems and constructs that are not found in Scripture. Others will say things like, Biblical theology is superior to systematic theology because it only uses the Bible's language. Therefore, biblical theology should replace systematic theology. What are some errors in that kind of thinking before we talk about this a little bit more, Spence? Well, I think right at the outset, you know, just the language and that objection um, about one discipline replacing the other kind of undermines what we were getting at uh, in the beginning of this episode, right? You know, um, Obviously, while, uh, you know, we're not really debating um, the amount of importance or application of each discipline, um, they're definitely all important, um, and we shouldn't replace any of them with anything else, right? Um, So, I mean, right at the outset, I think, to say that biblical theology should replace systematic theology um, really just shows... um, an underappreciation and a misunderstanding of what systematic theology is. Right. And there's no, by the way, there's no serious student of scripture uh, that really believes that biblical theology should replace systematic theology because they uh, affirm, hopefully if they're Christians, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity, right? Mm -hmm. The hypostatic union. Um, Incarnate, you know, all those things, the incarnation, well, it's the hypostatic union, but um, biblical theology uh, undergirds our systematic uh, formulations, but they do two separate things. And so let's talk about that in particular. So, so if we're looking at biblical theology and systematic theology and we're comparing it down the line, biblical theology has Scripture as its authority. And guess what? Systematic theology has Scripture as its authority. <laughs> wow, who oh, would have thought? Have? Uh, and guess what? There's a lot of systematic theologies who rather they have their authority in some sort of philosophical system, and then they bring scripture along as a uh, as a side plate to sort of help boost their systematic theology. That's an unfaithful systematic theology. Um, yeah. Biblical theology, though, its organizing principle is historical. It traces the development of revelation and scripture. So it takes things like the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15 and then traces out how that seed promise is expanded throughout the Old Testament and, and comes to full bloom and fulfillment in Jesus Christ. While the organizing principle in systematic theology is topical, logical, and hierarchical. Um, biblical theology provides us with a storyline Systematic theology provides us with doctrine, worldview, and application. And connecting these two together then, really, biblical theology is the bridge to systematic theology. It's a mediating discipline. Right. Um, it's not a final discipline. It's a mediating discipline. It's a bridge. It's taking us somewhere. And systematic theology then is, is really a culminating discipline. It summarizes and rearticulates all that biblical theology has said, but it puts it in topical and logical order so that we can understand what the Bible says about particular doctrines in the world and all those things. So, Spence, why don't you introduce us? There's a couple of theologians that I think who have uh, who have uh, 
really articulated the relationship between biblical theology and systematic theology well. Why don't you introduce to us a few of these guys and, and some of the things they said, especially kind of those, uh, those, those big key pieces that we've highlighted where they really bring out, I think, some helpful pictures to help us understand this better. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of the first guys that comes to mind uh, is B.B. Warfield. And obviously, while he wasn't uh, perfect in all of his theology, right, I don't think any uh, theologian who's lived uh, has been. Um, he certainly, um, certainly has a lot to add, um, uh, definitely to this discussion. Um, so uh, one thing he says is uh, the task of biblical theology in a word is the task of coordinating the scattered results of continuous exegesis into a uh, concatenated whole, whether with reference to a single book of scripture or to a body of related books or to the whole scriptural fabric. Whereas systematic theology is not founded on the direct and primary results of the exegetical process, it is founded on the final and complete results of exegesis as exhibited in biblical theology. And so... Uh, while exegesis itself then um, is not, uh, but biblical, the sorry, not exegesis itself then, but biblical theology provides the material for systematics. Biblical theology is not then a rival of systematics. It is not even a parallel product of the same body of facts, um, but it's provided by exegesis. Um, so I didn't end the quote. Um, there, so uh, don't be confused. B.B. Warfield didn't say um, all of that. Um, he uh, actually ended back to the whole of the scriptural fabric um, phrase there. So sorry for that confusion. Um, but something else um, that uh, he wrote was uh, scientific theology rests, therefore, most directly on the results of biblical exegesis as provided in biblical theology. It may be useful to seek to give a rough graphic representation of the relations of systematic theology as thus far outlined. The Bible, exegetics, then biblical theology, and then systematics. Yeah, and that graph is so helpful as you're looking at, right, we've got the Word of God, where the, the, the content of God's revelation before us, and we're looking at it, we're exegeting it. We're then taking that exegetical data and 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 uh, connecting it in biblical theology, and then we're taking uh, what we have in biblical theology and doing systematic theology. And I would assume, and uh, I would assume, B.B. Warfield would say, you know, systematic theology culminates in practical theology. And in this whole process, by the way, of of the Bible, exegetics, biblical theology, systematics, there would be sort of a parentheses on the outside or guardrails. Right, historical theology that that helps us to ensure that as we're approaching the Bible and and seeking to interpret Scripture, we're not uh, interpreting Scripture in a way that's novel or that uh, rejects um, what the Church has believed throughout the centuries concerning those things that are essential to the Christian faith. B.B. Warfield also right. has this helpful uh, picture. Uh, he uses uh, some some military and uh, like a military illustration. He says. He says the immediate work of exegesis may be compared to the work of a recruiting officer. It draws out from the mass of mankind the men who are to constitute the army. Biblical theology, which again, remember, 
B.B. Warfield agrees with us. Uh, biblical theology is the sort of capstone, the highlight of exegesis. He says, biblical theology organizes these men into companies, regiments, and corps, arranged in marching order and accounted for service. Systematic theology combines these companies and regiments and corps into an army, a single and unitary whole. So you've got the recruiter grabbing individuals and bringing them into this military. That's exegesis. Then you've got biblical theology that then organizes these men into companies and battalions and regiments. And then systematic theology takes these various regiments, companies, and battalions and bring, brings them together into a single unitary whole. But even in that illustration, you can see how these three disciplines, or, or really two, but we're talking about exegesis, biblical theology, systematic theology, are working together. Um, but biblical theology is sort of a mediating discipline. Systematic theology is that culminating discipline. Of course, we would be remiss to right. not mention Gerhardus Voss, right? The <laughs> Dutch goat that nobody knows about. And uh, he says in his book, um, or actually in a paper, the idea of biblical theology as a science and as a theological discipline, he says, he says dogmatics, or what, what we would refer to as systematics, is the crown which grows out mm -hmm. of all the work that biblical theology can accomplish. Biblical theology will not so much prove these doctrines as it will do what it is far better than proof. Make them grow out organically before our eyes from the stem of revelation. And so he, he goes on to say, biblical theology draws a line of development. Systematic theology draws a circle. And uh, hmm. why don't you, why don't you close us with some things John Murray said in that second paragraph that we're both looking at here, Spence, John Murray, I think is also helpful in this, uh, in this regard. Yeah, absolutely. And so he writes, um, that uh, systematic theology is tied to exegesis. It coordinates and synthesizes the whole witness of Scripture on the various topics with which it deals. But systematic theology will fail of its task to the extent of which it discards its rootage in biblical theology as properly conceived and developed. The exegesis with which systematic theology is so intimately concerned should be regulated by the principle of biblical theology. The fact is that only when systematic theology is rooted in biblical theology does it exemplify its true function and achieve its purpose. Yeah, I think Murray gets to something very specific there. And oh, absolutely. When, when he says that systematic theology is rooted in biblical theology and it doesn't even function the way that it should when it's not rooted in biblical theology. Yeah, and there are many systematic theology textbooks today that I think have uh, they've missed the mark on that. They have departed yeah. from uh, from biblical theology. Um, so let's do a little. That, go ahead, go ahead. I, I wasn't saying you know I might be just you know unhelpful musing here, but I almost wonder if that might be part of the reason why uh, we've seen that spotlight kind of shift to biblical theology uh, recently uh, is because of some of the misses that. Um, maybe some recent theologians have made uh, with not necessarily neglecting. Uh, well, no, I guess, you know, it would be, it would be a measure of neglect of biblical theology. Yeah, no, I, I think you're, uh, I think, I think there's at least a, a piece to that for sure. And um, we want to do both. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's why I, uh, I understand why uh, we have men who do PhDs and they, they specialize in, 
one particular field or area. Um, but I think some of the best theologians that I have learned the most from, who I've found so immensely helpful and balanced and biblical, uh, well, are one, those who are, are um, really doing all four of these disciplines, but two, those who are uh, pastor theologians, right? Those who are theology never mm-hmm. can move into the abstract for them. They're dealing with real people, uh, with real struggle in the Christian life, and they are constantly forced to ask the hard questions. How do these things that I'm arriving at in my exegetical theology, and how are these theological truths that I'm sort of encapsulating and synthesizing in my systematic theology, how do they really apply to the Christian in the here and now? Right? How does the immutability of God comfort the Christian who is struggling with their sin or struggling with loss or struggling in a, in a really rough time? So let's, uh, right. let's close by doing two things, Spence. Um, so let's, let's do a little exercise here. Um, let, and let's kind of – this is spur of the moment, so we could botch this. But mm-hmm. let's, yeah. let's look at <laughs> Jesus Christ and let's – Let's uh, flesh out how biblical theology would articulate who Jesus Christ is. There's going to be overlap here. I know it. And, uh, and yeah. then we'll talk about si- <laughs> kind of systematically who Jesus Christ is. What do you want to take a stab at? Well, let's, let's start with um, maybe uh, tracing the line together, um, you know, from the seed to the incarnation. Um, right. So that would be, you know, our biblical theological approach. Um, and so, um, you know, first mention of the seed is, of course, in Genesis, uh, Genesis 3.15, and where the seed of the woman uh, is the promised Messiah to come and um, strike down the snake. Yeah, and so that seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent, and that seed then is promised again, we see. Uh, so this seed already has some themes of uh, of kingship and dominion that's fleshed out further in the book of Genesis. We see that seed is promised then to Abraham, in particular in Genesis 22, uh, 17, I believe it is. And or really specifically, I should say, in Genesis 22, 17. And this seed then is not only uh, given promise to Abraham, but it then is given even a more specific promise uh, that, that it will be through the nation of Israel, uh, you know, in the Mosaic Covenant. Mm-hmm. And then we arrive at the Davidic Covenant, and this seed is going to be of the tribe of Judah. And it's going to, this seed is going to be a son of David, uh, God's son, who will sit on David's throne. And we, and there's, listen, friends, there's, there's lots we're skipping here. But, but there's this whole theme of seed, of this one coming, who's going to bring reconciliation and redeem those who are fallen in Adam. And we get to mm-hmm. Matthew, and Matthew says, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In fact, Luke and his genealogy oh. connects Jesus all the way back as the son of Adam, the son of God. And so there is this biblical theology theme of the seed of the woman, of this theme of sonship. And Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of that. And so as we open up the pages of the New Testament, and it declares to us that this one who has been born of Mary through the Holy Ghost, this Jesus Christ is this promised seed 
this this promised savior. So you can see how what what uh, I think Voss was getting at, you know, as you're doing biblical theology, you're sort of teeing up uh, already how systematic theology then is going to take the ball, if you will, and begin to uh, mm. synthesize the details. So as we move into systematic theology, obviously we recognize clearly from all that Scripture says about Jesus Christ and the way that he is connected to many of the things that were spoken of in the Old Testament, and in particular John 1.1, 1, 1, that Jesus is indeed the incarnate second person of the Trinity. He is the Son of God, the only begotten Son from the Father, who was, uh, was, was uh, neither, never created, never began to exist, uh, co-eternal, equal in power, glory, and majesty with the Father and Spirit. This is who Jesus Christ is, uh-huh. and he is he has come as a mediator, as a second Adam, to reconcile those in whom the Father has given to him, to bring them in to fellowship with Father, Son, Spirit. So I mean, there's more that can be said here, way more. But you you oh, sort of yeah, see like how they yeah you sort of see how there's overlap, but yet one is biblical theology is drawing that line. Right, tracing the unfolding of the story right. of redemption and systematic theology then right. is taking the data that's all scattered across that line and drawing a circle and summarizing right. all that biblical theology has said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and so I think you know maybe to some of our um, uh, listeners, you know, if you're if you're having a hard time maybe drawing a little bit of a distinction, just remember that biblical theology is going to follow the storyline. And, and draw out um, uh, uh, the theological aspects there, whereas systematic theology is going to use different texts as well, but it's going to be like a focused study of it. Um, and uh, I think uh, John's uh, uh, tracing the line of the seed to the incarnation was a great example of biblical theology, and then um, giving a, a summation of who Jesus Christ is according to uh, the scriptures um, is... Uh, the aim of systematic theology. Yeah, so Spence, as we're closing, what is the cash-out value here for our listeners, right? We're trying to, you know, keep our theology uh, tethered to the ground, uh, uh, focused on our communion with God. Um, and what would be the benefit of even having this discussion uh, for the average Christian? Yeah. And, you know, obviously you and I, we talk about this stuff a lot and uh, we, we kind of have a vested interest uh, just in the sense of, um, you know, we, we like reading theology. We like talking theology. And so maybe for uh, maybe some new Christians or even Christians who um, are new to the realm of uh, studying and, and reading theology and listening to theology, um, if anything, look at these disciplines and, and their distinctions as just a way to organize it, right? So when you go to a theological library or, or you know, a library that has Christian books, period, um, those books are going to be organized um, or focus on uh, one or, you know, maybe some, uh, several of the disciplines put together. But um, you're going to be able to see those distinctions there, right? So you're going to see the practical uh theological works, you're going to see the systematic works, you're going to see the exegetical works, um, you know, and, and obviously you'll have, you know, your church history books as well, um, um, or uh, maybe a book that's on a specific doctrine and traces, um, 
traces its existence throughout the history of the church. And so look at it as, as, as like a, like a, a file, um, organizing it in your brain, um, to draw those distinctions. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely just the, uh, the, just the organizing, uh, well, I mean, that's the, when you read a lot of, uh, different books, they're going to use some of these terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've already mentioned how it's helpful to be, to, to read widely in these various disciplines while also recognizing that they are not individual rooms, um, right. that can be parsed out. I think also just having a healthy uh, handle on each discipline will make you a better student of scripture. It will make you a, a more careful theological thinker, and it will help you hopefully uh, see how all of our theological uh, endeavors, that makes it sound like a, a work or something or an enterprise, but all the th- of the, <laughs> the uh, studying of theology that we do, if we have an understanding of of systematic theology and biblical theology and, and ultimately practical theology, we're going to be able to take that theology and really bring it to bear on our own soul, on our understanding of the, the depths that we have in Jesus Christ and our communion with God. And so I would encourage you, as you think about these things, it will help you have a better understanding of what soul scriptura means. It will help you have a better understanding how these, how these disciplines relate to one another and it'll help you, I think, identify good systematic theologies from bad systematic theologies. Um, it'll help you identify theologians who place too much weight on historical theology. Um, but, but certainly, we need to talk about this more for to, for you to be able to do that. I think. But, but in general, I think those are some helpful <laughs> things of why we would talk about this. So, as we close, Spence, let's think with uh, our listeners the fact that we have been called. Uh, by God into communion with himself through the mediating work of Christ and that work then being applied to us by the spirit. And the text I've been thinking on a lot is the benediction uh, in the closing of second Corinthians that Paul gives to the church in Corinth as he closes out this, this epistle, he says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the spirit be with you all. Mm-hmm.